0: Welcome back to Gays with Kids, a podcast about creating and raising families together. I'm David Dodge. I'm the executive editor of Gays with Kids, and today I'm bringing you the third installment of our four-part series on the future of IVF and how advances in this world of reproductive medicine are impacting gay, bi, and trans dads-to-be. So for today's episode, we're going to talk about something that truly is a remarkable breakthrough, but one that's actually been around since the 1990s, even though I'll admittedly say that I just learned about it relatively recently. This year marks the 40th anniversary of the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. A now famous headline in the New York Times in June of 1981 read, Rare Cancer Seen in 41 Homosexuals. So much has changed in our knowledge around HIV and AIDS since that time. We we now know that HIV is neither a cancer nor something that just impacts homosexuals, though it has certainly taken its toll on our community and robbed us of so many. But in the years since that headline ran, we have now turned this one-time death sentence into something that is treatable, allowing those living with HIV to live long, healthy, productive lives like anyone else. And thanks to other medical breakthroughs, men living with HIV can now also have biological offspring without transmitting the virus to either their surrogate or their baby. Today, we're going to break down exactly how this works with a leading expert in the field, Dr. Mark Daris of Reproductive Medicine Associates of Connecticut. We'll talk a bit about how this technology works, how it's developed over the years, and a bit about where it's headed. So, enjoy this episode. And if you happen to miss the first two, which focused on advancements in egg donation and, and also the movement to push insurance policies to cover IBF for gay men, definitely check those out. They're super interesting. And as always, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Dr. Mark Leanderis of Reproductive Medicine Associates of uh, Connecticut, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, David. So uh, nice to be included in this, and uh, we have a interesting topic to talk about.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, you know what, let's just uh, jump right into it. Can men who are HIV positive safely reproduce through IVF and surrogacy?
1: Absolutely. You know, in our modern era, for people who can access care, HIV has become, in many instances, a, a chronic disease. And with the HIV-suppressive medications, if your viral load is negative, you're not infectious. So there's some beautiful literature out now um, from all across uh, the gamut, not only um, gay men conceiving through in vitro fertilization, but sometimes heterosexual couples conceiving uh, where one person is HIV positive. And um,
0: and for many perspectives, like I said, undetectable, undetectable is negative. So, and something I found super interesting about this world that I didn't know about previously is that this this isn't new, right? So HIV positive people have been able to safely re- reproduce since I think the 90s, is that right?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been programs to work with HIV positive uh, dads to be, um, certainly since the 90s. I mean, I think that uh, there's been greater acceptance and understanding amongst, you know, surrogates and being willing to carry, but uh, sure, HIV sure. positive people, um, you know,
0: conceiving
1: um, in in both the gay and straight population has been going on, you know, da- absolutely since the 90s.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the actual technology behind what allows this to happen. Like you said, if you are on um, uh, sufficient medication to uh, bring down your viral load, you're already not at risk of transmitting the virus, but they also take the added step of doing something called sperm washing. So can you uh, break down what that is, what that uh, process is like?
1: Yeah, so I think it's important for people to understand the virus itself doesn't seem to um, be inside sperm heads. Sperm are, sperm are very compacted packages of DNA. Um, the virus itself is actually comes from all the other fluid in the ejaculate, uh, from the seminal vesicles, the prostate, and uh, um, in the ejaculate, not the sperm. Seminal vesicles and prostatic fluid actually make up Greater than 95% of the ejaculate, of the sperm is actually the smaller part. So in the IVF laboratory, by washing the whole ejaculate, and what we do is we actually um, put the whole specimen um, in a, a conical tube um, with a with a conical bottom, and we put in media, and we literally spin the specimen down so only the cells come down the bottom, and then we take off all the supernatant or all the fluid on the top. And then we resuspend the um, specimen and spin it again in another wash, and then we actually have a specimen that literally just has sperm in it. So that that being said, while that sounds very reassuring and um, it is perfectly safe to move forward with insemination um, with that technique based on modern literature, for men wanting to conceive through egg donation and surrogacy, there's an extra step. Uh, and that extra step involves reassuring the gestational surrogate, the best of our ability via science, that there is essentially no risk for transmission.
0: It's uh, super fascinating stuff. And again, like something I, I was only aware of um, more recently. So, let's talk a little bit about from um, the clinic perspective. So there are specific clinics around the country that uh, specialize in this sperm washing technique. They've been doing it for decades. And I know that RMACT works with uh, SPAR, correct? Could you talk a little bit about SPAR and what that is and also your partnership with them? So SPAR is this special
1: program in assisted reproduction. And it's a um, it's actually a, a research institute. It's called the Bedford Institute. And it's actually run by Dr. Ann Kiesling, who's a Um, Harvard professor, and actually uh, um, part of her research for years has been um, curing and conquering uh, um, HIV. And so they have the ability to analyze an ejaculate and use a technique to identify whether there is actually HIV in the ejaculate sample itself. And it turns out for men on suppressive therapy, Uh, with negative viral loads, you know, the the majority of the ejaculates don't even have um, uh, the the virus uh, in the ejaculate itself. So um, it provides an extra layer of comfort for the surrogate to know that the specimen used for fertilization not only was washed in a uh, effective washing technique to wash the HIV um off the sperm and from the sample itself but the sample itself was not uh, did not have the presence of the hiv virus within it um and you know what uh, um dr kiesling's uh, um process includes is independent counseling for the surrogate separate from the ivf clinic separate from the surrogacy agency um and uh and i think that's extra step is very important for the surrogate to know that there's somebody separate from the fertility baby making process uh, who this is their sole focus uh, prevention of the transmission of hiv uh, to clear her and so they're clearing the sperm specimen they're going to talk to your surrogate and they're going to test your surrogate for hiv during the pregnancy and postpartum to further document that there's not been uh, any transmission the, the initial HIV epidemic uh, in the 80s was really devastating for our community. It, at this point in time, I, I'm very heartened by the fact that uh, there's men who have been living with HIV for years upon years upon years. And if they want to be a parent, I think probably they initially thought they couldn't because they were HIV positive, but they absolutely can. It does take uh, some extra steps. There is added cost because, uh, um, to work through the SPAR clinic requires um, a, tra- a trip to the Boston area, an individual consultation with Dr. Kiesling. She's also going to talk to the surrogate. She- they're also going to coordinate testing for the surrogate. Um, that cost um, is something that's independent to them, but it is uh, somewhere between the seven to eight thousand dollar range for a guy to participate with the Bedford Clinic and have uh, um, a washed cleared specimen to send back to their IVF clinic. um, And that would be the specimen that we would use to inject one sperm into one egg. So you've added a layer of protection and assurance um, for your surrogate that, that there is no known risk. You could almost make an argument that it's safer than people who we don't go to all these extra measures for. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And the good news is, uh, um, you know, there's never been a documented viral infection transmitted within the IVF laboratory, whether that be HIV or hepatitis or uh, Zika virus or so on. Um, Because sperm themselves, if you just inject sperm into the egg, um, don't have the ability really to have, uh, they don't seem to have the ability to have viable virus that can infect the egg itself and lead to an infected embryo.
0: So that was actually going to be uh, one of my next questions is, is sperm washing used for other things or is it just HIV? So you're saying it's also used to prevent the transmission of Zika and uh, hepatitis?
1: Sperm washing, absolutely. I've used it in my practice also through the Bedford Clinic for men who are positive for hepatitis. It's not been something that we've used in relation to Zika. Mostly, what we do for Zika is we follow the Zika guidelines, and meaning that uh, a man has to be um, three months from travel or or a possible infection uh, prior to um, moving forward with reproduction. And in that case, if they were pre- were proceeding with in vitro fertilization, we would probably do ICSI or intracytoplasmic sperm injection to get that extra layer of protection. I mean, we're all involved in this COVID uh, pandemic right now, and we may or may not all understand that viruses are very particular little nasties that infect particular cells. So if you have herpes, you know, the virus actually infects cells in, in basically your skin, right? If you have HIV, the virus infects cells within your immune system. If you have um, meningitis, the virus infects cells, you know, in the meningia of your, your brain, right? So viruses are, are, need a cell type to infect. So if you're a virus and if you make it into an egg, you don't know what to do because an egg is an incredibly special cell that is not even a fully functional human cell. It's uh, kind of a blank until sperm um, uh, are injected and then it starts to divide. So there may be uh, some kind of natural protections also as well that prevent uh, any virus from successfully infecting an egg and leading to an infected embryo. Um, regardless, for men pursuing assisted reproduction who need a surrogate, um, you know, surrogates and their partners and their families are, are want, want that extra layer of reassurance. The surrogates that carry for HIV, HIV positive um, couples and individuals are just amazing women. Like who would sign up for that, right? Um, But they do because they understand um, that they are protected. They do because they love their families so much and they want to help somebody else have have a family who doesn't have one. And, you know, big, huge kudos to any woman who is willing to carry for an HIV-positive single or or couple. Um, And uh, um, I, I can't stress enough that, you know, I meet surrogates every single week. Uh, they are uh, amazing women who uh, have some variation of the same story. They like being pregnant. They love their family, and they want to help somebody else have a family. And they want to see and experience the 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 look on that person's face or couple's face when they hold their child for the first time, and and stay in touch as as they grow.
0: Absolutely. Incredible women. And yeah, if you have not had the good fortune of meeting many of these women uh, like you and I have, um, they are incredible. And this is more um, evidence of that 100%. let's talk a little bit more about that conversation. So how does this start? Um, I guess both from the perspective of the HIV positive intended dad and, uh, the surrogate. So what's kind of different about this process? How do you bring this conversation up with your surrogates? Is it, is it a conversation you have with all of them? Um, or only if they're potentially going to be matched with a positive intended father?
1: So, I mean, I still see dads to be who, um, are a little hesitant to, to say that they're HIV positive. So there's still a little social stigma. Sure, or yeah. Shaming, shaming about that. But once that gets out there, because I ask everybody if they've been positive for anything, chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, you know, hepatitis HIV, because it's just part of FDA requirements. Um, then then we take the next step and say, well, you know, this is this is a more of a speed bump and a hurdle than a barrier. And how we're going to get um, beyond this uh, um, this speed bump and uh, is, we're gonna en- have you engage with the Bedford laboratory. So I would send an introductory email, um, their coordinator would contact them and they would take it from there. As far as coordinating the sperm production, that's testing, sperm cryopreservation, and my office is, as since we've done many, many cases with them, um, knows the routine and will then ship the cleared sperm to us. On the surrogate side, um, for someone to be matched with a surrogate, they are, you know, usually signed up with an agency first. And the agency is aware that uh, they have somebody who's HIV positive who wants to uh, um, carry with the surrogate. So there's a the surrogacy agency, you know, um, proactively is screening surrogates and asking them proactively if they're willing to carry for people who are HIV positive. And, you know, the people who say yes, those are the people that are matched with HIV-positive uh, um, dads-to-be. And then that surrogate herself um, and her partner participate in the counseling session through the SPAR clinic and uh, and the testing during pregnancy.
0: And the research, as you alluded to, really is incredible that there's been zero cases of transmission using this technology. Um, and it's I, I also learned that often, or maybe all of the time, I'm not sure, surrogates are also put on uh, PrEP. Um, so that's uh, Truvada or Descovy, which, you know, I th- a lot of gay men will be familiar with um, as an additional protection, which again, reduces the the risk of transmission to negligible levels. So then we have, uh, you know, an HIV positive man who is undetectable and untransmissible. We have sperm washing, and then we also have PrEP on top of it. So there's three different methods that by themselves could probably would probably be sufficient. Is that right? So is there is there any sense that obviously we want to be as safe as possible, but it, are all three of these necessary, do you think?
1: Um, I've not encountered a surrogate that has been put on a Prepper or Descovy, Uh Oh, okay. That, that may be happening in traditional surrogacies or, or 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 there's another program that does not test the ejaculate itself for the presence of sperm, so they may be putting their surrogates proactively on a Prepper Discove. Um, so in, in regards to that extra um, layer of, of protection it you know, it's all about protecting the surrogate herself, your baby, and allowing you to, to be a parent. So um, yes, it all um, that that would make sense. And uh, I can understand that some programs probably do do that. You know the um, one of the burdens that we all face is that to be is cost. So we mentioned that the cost for the SPAR clinic is uh, relatively expensive uh, and and some of the ways to drive that down are, would be to do sperm washing and and to add uh, HIV-suppressive medications during pregnancy. The other part of the story is everybody worries about taking extra medicines in pregnancy, even though there's a very large data set on that as well, because there's HIV-positive women who have carried and and their children are not infected. Um, And In this case, when somebody's planning on being pregnant, um, less can be more.
0: Um, So Dr. Lee and it's unique among many of our partners to uh, fatherhood that we work with at Gays with Kids, you are actually yourself a gay father through surrogacy and IVF. Uh, So for a lot of the people listening, they're probably curious about this. Maybe they're just starting to wrap their minds around this whole uh, thing, whether they're HIV positive or not. But what what would be your first piece of advice for someone that's just about to embark on this journey from, you know, from someone that knows it professionally, but also very personally?
1: I I think if you want to be a parent, um, you're going to... Recognize that it's very, very complicated. As you first look into it, you need donors and surrogates and agencies and lawyers. Uh, um, but if you break it down piece by piece, it's not that complicated. So I'm a very process-oriented person, and uh, and for myself, you know, where I got um, very um, involved, where I got very involved in helping dads move forward with family building is after my own journey, because I realized that uh, there was a lot of uh, misinformation or lack of information out there. So that being said, you know, one of the big surprises for myself when we went through this process is that the surrogacy agency wanted my husband and I to have our wills in order before we went through a transfer. Uh, And I I was like, why do you need that? And they're like, well, if something happens to you, while your surrogate's pregnant, she, it's not her baby, and you have to you have to have in line who's going to take care of this this child. The uh, the legal professionals that uh, that do this work are are very talented and and very experienced. I would encourage you always to ask the experienced set of the legal professional that, that you're working with. And you need several lawyers. So you need a lawyer for your donor, you need a lawyer for yourself, you need a lawyer for your surrogate, and you're going to also need a lawyer on the ground where your baby's going to deliver. So understand that uh, the legal profession is, uh, um, is so integral to having compensated surrogacy be something that we can do in the United States, unlike basically 198 other countries all across the, the globe.
0: So I'll just say uh, we have a lot of really great videos and webinars featuring Dr. Lee and and our other partners uh, at gayswithkids.com and our learning center. So definitely go check that out if you have questions about anything that he just raised. Um, but to, to close this out, I, I want to bring us back to a theme that you raised, uh, HIV positive intended fathers, which is just how fantastic it is that this is a reality for them, that they can build their families this way. Like you mentioned, we had a whole generation of gay men that uh, were lost and, you know, why while a lot of our lesbian sisters were starting to form their families in the nineties and, you know, also busy taking care of so many gay men, uh, game. It really wasn't, um, happening for us. And this is, um, a big reason why Gays with Kids was founded uh, to begin with by um, our founder Brian Rosenberg, who is himself HIV positive and speaks very openly uh, and lovingly about his journey to parenthood um, as an HIV positive uh, man through surrogacy and IVF. Um, so it, it really is it's a it's a brand new day for for our community in that way, and it's it's in- incredible that um, they're able to work with professionals like you to make this happen. So I guess I, just as a final note, um, anything you'd want to add about um, the experience working with your HIV positive parents? And dads to be,
1: I think there's always a big sigh of relief on the other side of the the usually Zoom when we mention that this is possible. And uh, you know, as a caregiver, to be able to deliver that news, and then as a caregiver to be able to congratulate somebody that they're graduating from the practice with an ongoing pregnancy at ten weeks, um, there's often you know tears on the other side. Because with that initial diagnosis of HIV, whenever it was, there was this concept that your life was forever changed. And, uh, um, and then to be able to move on with a life, with a future, with a child and a family is, uh, um, I think, is an incredible, you know, lightning of a burden and, uh, and a, a scope towards a future that somebody never thought that they would uh, they would achieve. So, you know, it's a really an incredible honor and privilege to take care of everybody. Um, but uh, this particular population uh, is a little bit special. And it's an opportunity sometimes that they never thought they had. Um, one of the things that I think is important is that uh, I don't see many HIV positive people from across the globe. And I just don't know if that message has gotten out there. And it would be wonderful if gays with kids could make an effort to get that that out there um, absolutely absolutely because, uh, because i think it's important that everybody knows that being hiv positive is not a barrier to being a parent
0: we absolutely should be getting that word out so that's um absolutely the role that we should be playing so i look forward to doing that with you dr Leanderis. thank you so much for breaking this down it was really enlightening and again very exciting and thank you for all your work you're doing uh for these patients
1: all right everybody have a wonderful day thank you for listening to the podcast david thank you as usual for the work you've done thank you Great. cheers